The music landscape is an endless source of fascination to me. You know when you're a teenager and you're like super into finding new music, like music is my life, you know, and your parents don't like the stuff you're playing and they're like, one day you won't want to do that. You'll think everything sounds bad. And you're like, I'll never grow out of this. Uh, I think most people do hit a point where they grow out of it and the rest become music critics. I've hit that point, I think. I hit it a while ago. I'm like pretty out of the loop. I listen to about four albums and occasionally I let people tell me things that they think I should listen to. And if I like them, I rotate out one of the four. And I think that's how a lot of people approach music generally. But we ascribe so much meaning to the industry and its big names. When I looked at Post Malone in the first episode of this podcast, it was because someone had declared him to be the perfect pop star for this particular American cultural moment. Now, I said I didn't think that this was the case, and I don't, but that leaves an open-ended question as to who might be the ideal embodiment of the American image via the medium of pop stardom. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about the pop stars that we deserve. Before I kick off, I want to say I'm obviously not American, but Australia has already indisputably produced a pop icon that fairly singularly represents us as a nation. I'm obviously referring to Kylie Minogue, the singing budgie. This is said with no intention to disparage. Kylie has produced many of the bangers that really define my childhood, but I want you to name a more Australian career trajectory than getting your start on Neighbours and then producing most of your finest work from the safety of the European club scene. And that's not even touching on her recent tone-deaf ad to attract British tourism, which managed to be both so poorly timed it was released while half the country was on fire, and so snivelling in its appeal to colonisers that it really hit all of the notes of casual racism that you'd really expect from this great nation. What I'm saying is there's not even an argument to be made as to who our defining pop star is. She's right there. Plus, no one is deluded enough to believe that Australian pop music is the centre of any scene, whereas the US spent most of the post-war period demanding that the world accepts its cultural output as the blueprint. Which is why I'm obviously going to be making the next 15 or so minutes of this podcast about the perfect pop star for this American cultural moment. I want to be clear, when I talk about the perfect American pop star, I don't mean people you like or even people you think are making particularly good music. I'm talking about the pop star that embodies America in its current state. Not the pop star the US wants, but the pop star it deserves right now. Spoilers, it's not Beyonce. You don't deserve Beyonce, neither do I. I'm going to spoil the ending early. I think it's Lana Del Rey. I can't think of another pop star whose image is so heavily stylized and who draws so fully from the oft-mythologized golden years of America that even their attempts to lovingly pull those hazy memories more sharply into focus only serves to deepen their grim reflection of the present. So let's get into it. Lana Del Rey's real name is Elizabeth Grant. She did actually release her first album under the name Lizzie Grant, but as with many attempts at pop stardom, especially those undertaken in your own very boring birth name, it very quickly sunk into obscurity. 
It was eventually meticulously scrubbed from the internet to make way for Grant's new character, Lana Del Rey, a doe-eyed, big-haired, tragic femme type. This persona latched firmly onto the 1950s and 60s for its aesthetics. Her image swings between that of glamorous old Hollywood starlet luxuriating in her mansion and a rebellious teen in a white leather jacket and denim cutoffs gunning it down the highway in a Mustang with a tatted-up bad boy. Harold Fethviet, which is a name that I have definitely fucked up, um, but he has an essay on death, beauty, and iconoclastic nostalgia, in which he refers to these two parts that Del Rey plays as the queen, who is a luxuriously feminine character and reminiscent of like a 1950s movie star, and the renegade teen, youthful in a 1960s leather jacket and converse with hair blowing in the wind. Fetviet notes that these two characters are present in Del Rey's singing voice as well, where she fluctuates between like a kind of confident, sultry voice and a girlish Marilyn Monroe-esque tone. This desire to fully embody two seemingly opposing personas is something you really only see with female pop stars. The way we articulate the cliche of pop stardom is really heavily rooted in late 90s and early noughties manufactured pop, which had a clear dichotomy of girl groups and boy groups. These were highly polished, media-trained products who could sing, dance, and smile politely during interviews. Skipping forward, the male pop image has moved on a bit, particularly as we see the pop genre blending influences from alternative genres, uh, particularly hip-hop, into the final product. Dudes are allowed to be a little bit less squeaky clean, In contrast, the female pop star kind of seems trapped in that bubblegum pop persona. They still have to represent this sort of all-things-to-all-people version of womanhood. And I don't think the audience expectation for a heavily editorialized, image-based version of femininity has actually changed that much. Because of the way that racial lines are drawn in America, and like in the world if we're being real, That kind of all-purpose feminine charm is also usually coded as white. Contemporary icons like Beyonce or Rihanna exist, and they're obviously enormously popular, but they tend to still be categorized as separate from their white counterparts. Think about the image that you conjure for the word diva, for example, versus the image you conjure for the phrase pop star. While this divide is obviously rooted in, like, racist ideas about black women, It does make the female pop star the perfect canvas for reflecting America as it stands right now, because white female pop stars represent a kind of vague blueprint for something that was never really fully formed to begin with. An American dream personified. And in Lana Del Rey's blank canvas, we get a kind of pop cultural pastiche that could read as romantic at first glance. Billowing American flags, open highways, money and freedom... But I think part of the problem with Lana, which is simultaneously the thing that makes her the perfect pop star for this particular cultural moment, is that her fixation on these golden years rapidly becomes morbid. So in between the American flags and the open road, there are blood-soaked crashes in American muscle cars, flickering Super 8 film, hands on throats and tattooed knuckles. It's a bit like staring into the shadows for too long and finding out that they move. The grim is intercut with the patriotic and bolstered by lyrics about how romantic it would be to die young and devoted to each other on the back of a Harley Davidson. 
It's simultaneously obsessed with Americana to the point of being macabre and a deliberately macabre version of Americana. I think the perfect example of this is the video for National Anthem. As a song, National Anthem's catch cry is money is the anthem of success, delivered in a kind of Monroe-esque tone. In a very American fashion, it's about money and power, serving partially as a critique for the two and partially as an expression of desire. But the most interesting thing about it is the music video, in which Del Rey plays the roles of both Marilyn Monroe and Jackie Onassis, to a John F. Kennedy played by ASAP Rocky. The video opens with Del Rey performing Marilyn Monroe's infamous 1962 rendition of Happy Birthday, Mr. President, at Madison Square Garden, to ASAP Rocky as a cigar-smoking president. I hope you all enjoyed that Happy Birthday, Mr. President. You'll never hear it again. It then cuts to the two recreating scenes from Kennedy's life with Jackie O. There are shots of them reclining on their boat, images of them playing with their children and embracing, intercut with images of Del Rey as Jackie O in the Rose Garden. It paints a picture of domestic bliss and summertime romance. Then it ends with the pair reenacting the Zapruder footage of the Kennedy assassination, complete with Del Rey chasing the remnants of ASAP Rocky's brain across the back of the presidential limousine. What's so interesting to me about this music video are the two things that I think make Del Rey the ideal candidate for perfect American pop star. The first is this nostalgia for the past. The Hollywood glamour of Marilyn Monroe, the regal American old money of Jackie O as First Lady. It's so directed, so laser-focused, that when Del Rey starts to pull on that thread, she suddenly can't stop. And so rather than only invoking glittering dresses and family memories in Hampton's homes, it also dredges up sexual indiscretions, blood, death, and grief. The problem with a mythic, nostalgic past is that it's usually easily debunked. You can take any point in history, name a reason you might long for it, and then just as quickly point to reasons that you don't want to be there. Love that 1960s vibe and revolutionary politics? That's cool. Hope you also like being drafted. Love that 1950s economic boom time? No worries. Hope you also enjoy segregation and the Klan. Well, I mean, the Klan is still about, I guess. I feel like the 1950s maybe had more Klan? Who can say at this point, to be honest? Anyway, my point is, when you start to lovingly reenact these things with any accuracy you suddenly end up with everything feeling just a little bit wrong. I think it's very indicative of this particular American cultural moment, this sense that everything is slightly off. Everything feels like it's been thrown into complete chaos under the Trump presidency. And it has been. The world's on fire. Portland has roving death squads now. So you start to reminisce, like, this wouldn't be happening if Obama was here. And you try and find the point where it was better. And then this little voice in your head is like, between 2009 and 2015, 116 civilians died in US drone strikes. But the number is probably significantly higher because the Obama administration counted all military-age males in strike zones as combat deaths unless intelligence explicitly exonerated them posthumously. You realise pretty quickly that trying to find a moment where things were somehow right or working 
is impossible because the foundation was shaky to begin with. And that's just with recent history. Reanimating cultural life from 60 or 70 years ago has this zombie effect where everything might look the same, but it's not quite right. The second thing is that in some ways, National Anthem tries to make corrections to the past. It almost acknowledges its own hyperfocus as somehow making monsters. And so it makes little changes. The most obvious being that JFK is played by ASAP Rocky, who is a black man. It's the 1960s, but Lana as Jackie O and Rocky as JFK are living peacefully with their beautiful children. A black man is the President of the United States, 50 years ahead of time, rounding up slightly. Del Rey, as both Jackie O and Marilyn, eliminates all those nasty playboy adulterer rumours, and so you're left with this idyllic American life, a wholesome nuclear family unit existing beyond the need for the civil rights movement because the civil rights movement apparently achieved all of its goals early. Except that even the tender attempts at envisaging a better America veer quickly off into the macabre when you realise that they're still going to go through with the assassination scene. And this time, rather than having a white head of state being publicly executed, it's a black man in 2012, the year Obama was elected for his second term. Delray wrote the treatment for this video, and you realise that she can't keep out of her own way. She's so completely committed to the full scope of Americana that she cannot help but paint it as more pointedly macabre than reality could muster up. Then again, these visions are steeped in a kind of adoration for the violence unfolding because of its connection to grief as a romantic impulse. I think this kind of rings thematically true for a lot of Del Rey's songs and accompanying videos. This inability to keep her own mythical, nostalgic lens from veering into violence has a trick effect on the viewer where they start to associate the violence with love. A dip in the pool will quickly turn dangerous when shots jump between her boyfriend and an alligator cutting through the murky water to embrace a floating Lana. A summer hike turns dark when bright red Kool-Aid spills over Lana's luscious lips. Suddenly the bearded boyfriend looks less like a gentle hippie and more like a cult leader. The character she plays as part of her pop star identity requires audiences to not only recognise the reference points for her pastiche, but to love them, and on some level associate them with a kind of romantic desire as well. But when these elements involve death or violence, it's presented in a way that holds that violence as romantic and beautiful. It isn't shocking to see a bloody Del Rey held in the arms of her lover because that's this character's idea of perfection which feels particularly relevant for this cultural moment where the American psyche is flooded with images of heightened emotions and their ties to violence daily. School shootings, protests, candlelit vigils, and community resistance invoking grief, fury, sadness, love. Somehow the grim undercurrent of this nostalgia only serves to make Lana Del Rey an even more accurate reflection of the US cultural landscape than anyone else on the market. If you cherry-pick other artists that came to prominence around the same time as Del Rey, you can see just how far apart she sits from them in terms of her image and presentation, mainly because she's so consistent. 
Lady Gaga has changed her concept with every album, and while that is a definitive artistic choice that generally makes for a better and more interesting musical output, it generally precludes her from ever being truly representative. She's too concerned with futurism and artistic purpose. Stars like Miley Cyrus and Ariana Grande both swing too far into teen rebellion and stealing from rap aesthetics. I think the one who maybe comes closest to hitting the mark is Taylor Swift, but I think she's probably closer to being representative of the thing America wishes it could be. This kind of like wholesome apple pie and cute love songs version of femininity. But that's a wish more than an actuality, and also Taylor recently had her foray into spicy revenge songs, so that's not really it. No, I think only Lana Del Rey will do. It's not about the pop stars you actually want, it's about the pop stars you deserve, and this death-soaked nostalgic foray into Americana is truly what America deserves. Well, a bit of a shorter episode today. There's only so long you can talk about sexy, sexy death sex before you really start to bum people out. Or turn them on. Both are bad. Anyway, (laughs) if you have any thoughts on who takes America's pop crown, come tell me about it next time you see me at the pub. I mean, you're wrong if it's not Lana Del Rey, but I'll indulge you. (laughs) Peace.